<laughs> All right, Bob, I think we're live. Happy Friday, everyone. It is June 26th, 2020. And Bobby, the year just got a lot better. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not baseball. There is a really phenomenal... You don't know what I'm talking about. I guarantee this. I have no idea what um, you're talking about. But uh, I'm going to screen share. This, this just like made my morning... <laughs> it just has me it has me giggle it had me giggling, giggling like a girl when i woke up and and checked uh my news so i'm gonna share <laughs> this thing so if you haven't seen this experts call for regulation after latest botched art restoration in spain <laughs> and this, hopefully you can see this on, what on, the hell is on that? video so in Spain, this guy had a copy of this famous artwork called, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's... it's Bartolome. Well, that's the name. Bartolome Esteban Murillo. Uh, it says he became the latest in a long line of artworks to suffer damaging and disfiguring repair. So there's, you know, this beautiful woman who's in this painting, I guess he gives us this art uh, restorer who really just like does furniture, <laughs> paid him 1,200 euros, which is clearly not enough. And he basically just seems like he wiped the painting clean and then redrew it himself. And it looks absurd. It is absolutely absurd. So if you're listening to this on, on audio, please do me a favor. Google art restoration Spain or art restoration fail. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like taking a photo, like this beautifully done artwork, and then just like making it into what a fifth grader would paint. <laughs> well, you it's, know, at least I can appreciate the one on the upper right. Like, at least she's got the head tilt a little bit. Like, yeah, the second one that had that, it's completely different. Like, they forgot what it looked like. <laughs> like, the, it's, I mean, not and even then, a little bit. <laughs> and then they referenced this other one called, which they call the Monkey Christ, which was this very photographic um, photo of, of Jesus Christ that was eroding away a little bit. And so they got it restored. It eroded away a lot more. And then they painted over it. And it looks like <laughs> it's, he's like sticking out his tongue. It's, it looks it's, terrible. It's from 2012. And apparently it draws a big crowd because of how absurd it is. It's hilarious. So this made my morning. <laughs> it's the best thing that those happened are, in, in 2020 thus far. And those are, those are pretty good. It's amazing. It's, Amazing. So be sure to look that up if you're out there in audio land. Bob, I, uh, what's what's new in your neck of the woods? Uh, well, I just pulled up. Uh, we were talking about our previewing our Tuesday podcast with uh, Richard Skank and Jeff Fry. And I had brought up to you that it reminded me of the movie Kingpin. And when they play the song Gonna Showdown. Be a showdown. Where Big Earn is, where they like, you know, they they flash back and forth as they're going through the bracket to the showdown and big earns hair is just all over the place. And I'm not good at screenshotting, but I've got big earns picture pulled up and his hair is, has, his hair's everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's with the rose ball. It's, it's, it's one, one of, the of best, Bill Murray's. It's best one of the best movies. scenes in movie history. It's, it, I, it makes me so happy. I love that uh, movie so much. 
As I mentioned, and we were off. Are you going to screen share this or no? I don't know how to share my screen. I don't think it's the I'll, bottom. It's a big green button, friend. You've disabled my screen sharing abilities. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna enable it. So. I'm gonna enable it right now. No, I don't know how to do that. Why can't you screen share? Uh, advanced sharing options. All participants. All right, my friend. It's your time to shine. All right, mm -hmm. I'm sharing. Well, for my, those of you listening, this is my first screen sharing option. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. That's exactly what it, that's exactly what I picture when I see when I think of Kingpin. It's such a good. It's such an underrated movie. Like there are still people that haven't seen Kingpin, but it's just it's just incredible. That was my walkout song my last year in baseball. Was Showdown, which is hilarious as well. Which. I pitched terrible, but uh, it was it was the best. Because Bobby, what were your walkout songs over the years? Let's let's talk about this a little bit. So, in the beginning of my career, like my second, third, fourth years with the Orioles, uh, I changed my walkout song pretty much, if not every game, every homestand. So I went from like I had Lady Gaga, like boy bands, just. R. Kelly, like pick a random 90s song. I had it. And then right before Call Me Maybe came out, like to get huge, I had heard it. I don't know why, because I had it was younger sisters, whatever. I heard the song and I'm like, this is the song. Call Me Maybe. Like, absolutely. So that was my song for a while. Like, that was probably my, that was my favorite walkout song. I had that for the whole year. Um, and then when I got to Indie Ball, it, it was, it ended up being uh, My Kind of Party by, uh, Jason Aldean. So I had that for a couple of years. And then when you go to Europe, they don't even have an announcer. No. What about in college? Did you do one in college? Uh, we did one in co college. I don't remember. Um, sometimes they picked them for you. We, NIU wasn't exactly like the front of the line with... Uh, did they have music then? Could you, Are you allowed to dance at NIU? Are they one of those schools? <laughs> no, they just had like the one speaker that was always real fuzzy. So it's like, why are we... Why do you even have this on? Mm. They try and play music, but it's more static than music. I miss the days when I was in the bullpen with uh, our friend Sean Tuffle. Did you play with Sean Tuffle in Camden? I did. Mets royalty. Yeah. Sean Tuffle, his dad is Tim Tuffle, who was the, I guess, bench coach, third base coach for the Mets for a while. Obviously, he played for like the Miracle Mets. He was a big leaguer. Yeah. And Sean's a, a great dude, a uh, very devout Christian. And went to Liberty University. And I would just pick on him relentlessly about uh, Liberty's policies, which they're not as strict. There are some schools where you're not allowed to do lots of normal stuff. Yeah. But I was like, Sean, how did you manage four years without being allowed to listen to music at Liberty? He's like, Dan, we're allowed to listen to music. I'm like, and then two <laughs> weeks later, no, Sean, when did you learn to dance? I know they outlawed dancing at Liberty University, but like, so how did you figure that out as an adult? He's like, Dan, we're allowed to dance. Like, Sean, how did you meet your wife? Like, aren't, aren't these strict, uh, male, female, like you're not allowed to even smell a woman in, in Liberty. He's just like, Dan. All right. All right. Fun. I, my mean, I, lived, I lived in Lynchburg. Lynchburg had a minor league team too. Um, and I, when I went to the Braves, I lived in Lynchburg, Virginia and that's high A ball. And they had me set up in a, like a host family, a very nice woman. Her house was at, it was actually a pretty cool house on like 50 acres. It was self-sustaining house. So it collected the rainwater. It like heated itself through the ground. 
but there was at this is when at the time where like cell phones were kind of new i guess like 2012 and they had no cell phone reception so i got moved up to double a like i don't know i was supposed to get the phone call at 10 a.m and i didn't leave my house until like one because why would i go to the field any earlier and there's nothing to do in lynchburg and I had like four voicemails from the trainer, like, where are you? Like, answer your, answer your effing phone. Like you're getting moved up. We got to get on a flight. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You guys put me up in the middle of the woods. Like, I can't, I got nothing in here. I'm sitting in the basement. So it was like Lynchburg is, there is nothing like Liberty university is Lynchburg, Virginia, that and the tractor supply. When my parents came, like mm-hmm. we literally went to tractor supply one. Cause we had never been there. I had never even heard of it as a 24 year old. And two, there was nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So my walkout songs, I don't think we had them or we didn't get a lot. Of, we weren't allowed to pick them early in my college career when I was the number one on the staff, which I was never good in college. So it's certainly not a brag. Even when I was our number one, I had like a six ERA. I was terrible. Uh, I chose because you always have here's the here's the the route you can take with walkout songs. You can choose something to pump you up something to make you look cool, which could be the same or something to please be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And so the more secure, I think, I don't, it's, it's not a security issue, but you learn over time. You don't really need to be pumped up by the song to do your job. Well, I think, uh, but you can still have like a pump up song if you want. But so anyway, as a junior in college, I chose that song like ladies and gentlemen by saliva. Have you heard that one? Ladies and gentlemen, please. it's like this real big like pump up song. Like if you're it walking, feels like a dance ring. song. Yeah, and I, and in hindsight, I cringe. I cringe about that. I'm like, eh. before that, it was when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin, which is a phenomenal song. Good song. Good song. That heavy drum beat, which they actually recorded that song. Uh, that when they recorded it, they had like the drums down the basement or something to give it like this far away echoey sound, which is really interesting. Uh, and then it evolved over time. Some years you have a walkout song in pro ball. Some years you don't. Depends. In relievers, you kind of get overlooked because they're like doing stuff between innings sometimes with the crowd. But my, I think my favorite was uh, Showdown. But I pitched terrible. But I had different that's, Zeppelin that's songs. Song. I had Warren Zevon, uh, Werewolf in London one year, which is also a crowd pleaser, which I chose because one of my coaches in summer ball said he used that. And he said, the reason it's cool, Dan, is because if you get one of those long innings, so he was a, a hitter, if you get one of those long at-bats where like they swap pitchers or something as you're coming up, they'll play like a lot of the song. And then people in the crowd are going, oh, well, like they start singing along and everyone starts howling in the stands. It's like, it's very, so I chose that one. That was fun for a year, but I like the crowd pleasers personally. I think, it, I think you want to have people, you know, and that's clearly obviously a lot of your motive call me maybe it's not pumping you up but it's good to get the crowd just like feeling goofy and silly and associating something fun with a certain hitter i think that's i think that's a good way to do it what like clark zach clark was i think he was a teammate of mine when i had that song and it was just like everybody enjoyed it even the people even the guys in this in the dugout because it's like it's not supposed to be a walkout song right like you're not a grown man should not be coming out walking up to the plate every time with call me maybe or or the Backstreet Boys just blaring through the stadium. But yeah. the fans seem to enjoy it. And it depends on your personality. Attention. Yeah, they're not really paying attention otherwise. They're just there for the hot dogs. 
Yeah. It also depends on your, it's also kind of like the way you dress. Like, like Bobby's a good looking dude. If Bobby wore some like silly, some silly shirt to the bar, he could pull it off because people are like, Oh, he's clearly like a good looking guy. He's being, (laughs) he's being silly. Right. But if you're just kind of nerdy or it's like, maybe you don't like exude that I have some kind of style. And then you wear something weird. People are like, that dude just has terrible taste. Like, what is he doing? It's the same kind of thing with walkout songs. So I'll give you an example in college. We had a guy who he like, he wasn't funny or like really that fun. He was kind of weird. And like, we had like strange suspicions about him. Um, but he chose Ace of Bass as his song. Like I saw the sign and it wasn't. That's so I'm good. saying it, it was no, but it wasn't that situation. But that's the problem. It was just like, uh, my, why? Why did you choose that? Like, oh, you're the worst. It wasn't. You know what I mean? He wasn't one of those guys. Him. Yeah. And it just like didn't fit his personality where we thought like, this is really how you feel inside. Like you're weird. <laughs> Like this is just you being strange, not you being like. Well, to know. be to be fair, right? Like ninety percent of the teammates I ever had just chose a song. Like if you're a country guy, you chose a country song that you liked. If you're, you know, a yeah. city guy, or you know, you chose like a rap song that you liked or something hip hop song. Most of the people chose normal songs to fit them that either they liked, they didn't yeah. necessarily pump them up, or that were just maybe like a popular song. Like the Latin guys mm-hmm. always had songs that. I felt like, yeah, like they were always, nobody knew what the people were saying in the song, but it was like, it got you like, oh, this has got some energy to it. I think it's also kind of like waving their flag a little bit when they come up to like bringing just some like, you know, pride from their homeland, which I I certainly get. Like, I can't imagine how it feels to be in a foreign country your whole baseball career. You know, I think that's, I think that's cool for them to have, just like bring bring their culture up every time they come to the bat. I think that's cool. I, d- I did it, and it was t- granted. It's a little different, obviously, um, going to Europe, but it's tough. I mean, not speaking the language alone, and plus, a lot of these kids come when they're 16 years old, 17 years old, um, to the U.S. It's not easy. I mean, it's really not, and they don't get enough credit for it. They definitely don't get enough credit for acclimating like themselves to basically just here you go, live on your own. Like a lot of us go to college and we live on our own. Our parents are, are just, you know an hour away to drive like these kids are coming from an island to a place they don't speak the language make not really making any money and told like hey find your own housing uh order your own food and make sure that you understand everything we're saying because we're not gonna repeat it to you mm-hmm. which is insane i mean it's actually insane yeah so yeah it's uh it'd be interesting to hear more of the story of the a lot of the, the latin players and and what they go through it'd be be really interesting because i don't know that story's really been told that well of what it's like to be hey i'm just here in america i'm 16 i got half a million bucks or something but um or if you got a thousand dollars right either way yeah nothing the money money wasn't really relevant but yeah having some more money is is helpful because sometimes you bring somebody with you like you know that stays with you or whatever uh 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 you're a young kid i mean meg it's like treated like a high school kid going to college in the U S like there's plenty of kids that leave school and come home because they're homesick and all kind of like they don't fit in or they, they all kinds of crap. They got imagine going to do it, reverse it, send us to the, send the college kid to the Dominican when he's 17 and just tell him to figure it out. 
Yeah, that's so, um, yeah. Make sure you don't go into these areas, like this bad neighborhood, but they can't tell you it's bad neighborhoods if you don't understand what they're saying. It is a daunting thing for sure. Um, so if you're out there on Twitter or YouTube, hello, shoot us a comment or question and we'll answer on the show. Also, please jump onto iTunes, leave us a review, tell us that we're great. It's, it's good for our egos. Our egos are very fragile these days. So it would help. It'd be helpful. We appreciate that. Thanks. Um, say something nice. So on the agenda today, we're going to talk about lifting in summer ball, which is important. I think people probably have less of an idea how to get this right than ever before. Cause it's so complicated with, do you even have equipment? Are you going back to the gym? Like, what do you do if you missed a lot of time? It's complex. So we're going to chat about that a little bit. We're also going to talk about how stupid baseball is. It's really stupid. Um, they're going to play, which is great, but, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then what else is on our agenda there, Robert? Uh, I'll probably just spot off a few questions that you're not, you know, you don't, you don't really necessarily like, but you're going to answer because oh, okay. you don't have anything else to talk about. Well, so, two, two things I want to talk before we go into the lifting stuff is number one, uh, Richard and Jeff on Tuesday, this is going to be, this is a highly anticipated yes. virtual cage match. How do you feel like this is going to go Bobby? I, I think it's going to go totally fine. Like there's going to be some shots fired, I'm sure, you know, verbal shots, but I think it's actually going to go well. I, and I will stick to my original assessment that on the spectrum of hitting baseball people, like if, if it's former big leaguers on one side and strictly analytics on the other, that Richard and Jeff are very close to each other on that, on that spectrum. And I just don't think they've ever, I mean, Jeff obviously went into this whole Twitter thing, you know, what he start five months ago, started becoming more prominent on Twitter, going after some of the guys that teach hitting. Uh, he went into it blind essentially. And I don't know if he's ever like looked into what Richard's ever said about hitting or if he's just kind of like res- responded from afar, but they're very, I feel like they're very close and maybe I'm wrong. And I, I think it'll go a lot better than people expect. I know everyone expects fireworks and by all means, like, shoot from the hip right? those two guys. But I think it's going to go good. I, I am positive that it's going to go well. I think it's going to, I, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to go less combative than you would expect for sure. Cause like Jeff was very, very polite on our show. Not that so we had, not, not, not yeah. that, yeah, not that uh, he wouldn't have been, but his, I don't, his Twitter persona certainly wasn't his persona with us. Um, but I think they're so far on the, other sides of the continuum. Like Jeff doesn't want to talk about mechanics. He just wants to talk about the mental side of it. Rich just wants to talk about his side of it, which is the, his view of the hitting mechanic side, but he's not going to like, he's not going to get into debate about a hitting approach because he doesn't teach that. And he's clear about that. So I don't really know what, yeah, yeah that's don't really disconnect, right? Know what's going to happen. Like what, what the point is kind of, I mean, this was your big deal, but, um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how I'm going to adjudicate if like the Judy comments come out because they're ridiculous. Like they make no sense. You can't, it doesn't matter what you think about baseball. If you succeed in the major league level for many years, there's nothing anyone can say. The point of it is being good at baseball. And Jeff was objectively that like, it doesn't matter. Like if you, your role might've been different if you grew up, if you played today, because if you play in today's game, you would have grown up a kid in today's game. Like Jeff's development as a player, if he had, 
was born in 1992 would have been completely different than his development as a player being born in, you know, 72 or whatever. How, I don't know how old Jeff is. You know what I mean? It's close. So it like it doesn't make sense. We talked about this in the other on our other episode where like Jesse Owens, one of the best track athletes of all time, ran a ten seven in the hundred meters back in there. You're gonna say he's yeah. like the slow pansy? No, he's one of the greatest athletes ever lived. And if you had and if he had grown up in same thing, if he was born in nineteen ninety two, he'd be one of the best sprinters, I'm sure, by all means today as well. I mean he didn't he didn't even run that ten seven on blocks. My dad was we were chatting about this the other day. Just he didn't, have, he didn't, he didn't, on the yeah, line. on the line. They didn't have blocks back then. What? I'm it's actually crazy. Pretty sure that's the case. But, uh, I think it'll go well. I think it's, uh, like they're not even necessarily arguing the same thing. Like, they're not arguing the same thing. Jeff but, just thinks think, he's, he's a snake oil salesman. Yeah. yeah. And I Jesse don't Owens, Jesse Owens did not have starting blocks, which is, that's actually how fast would he have been with blocks? Yeah, that's a major. Th- I mean, the the well, starting the blocks off. match the angle that your body, that low body angle that you take off with. That's huge. You're shoving force in the exact direction you want to go instead of shoving it kind of into the ground. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big deal for sure. But yeah, I think it's gonna go. I think it's gonna go well. I think they're gonna both. I think they're gonna both make their points. Like, I'm not sure they're gonna. I'm still not sure they're gonna like go head to head on be what a the showdown. topic is. I'm gonna make my. I'm not. I don't want to be like this on the podcast. I want to just make my avatar the bigger and the kraken with the with the rose. I mean, the amount of comp, the amount of (laughs) dry humor from Big Earn, and that I I just didn't want to lose with to a guy with a hook. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be, and the uh, all the commercials where he's on TV and he's. They're like talking about him helping um, single mother families, and he just comes up and like puts his hand on her breast. It's it's just like unbelievable. And the little kids like sometimes when I wake up, Mister McCracken's already there. <laughs> it's like, good grief! That show is it's, that movie is amazing. It would have been it would have been canceled in today's world, for sure. Which I would love to get into cancel culture, but it makes I just I'm very over everything in the world top at, this, line, at this time top line yeah, statues i don't i don't i don't understand i mean well they pulled down a statue in was it minnesota no it was, it was madison wisconsin that was like an abolitionist <laughs> i mean it's, it's like i don't understand what's happening it's at this point is it even is like it even everyone activism? everyone was like everyone was like you idiots like why did you do that this was a person who was completely anti-slavery and you pulled down their statue like do you even know what you're doing he's on your Baffling. side He's, he he agrees with you. I mean, I hundred percent get like let's get rid of you know we need to stop honoring the Confederacy. Hundred percent, like hundred percent. And a lot of those statues were erected because they wanted to kind of stick it to people. Hundred percent agree with all that. But like they pulled down one in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was reading about. It, I'm like, I don't know anything about Madison, Wisconsin, but they're like, that's the statue they pulled down. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um. I, either way, I don't want to get into it. Cancel cultures. Uh, it's it's an insane thing right now, but yeah, Bill Murray continues to be a national treasure. Just show up in your house, do your dishes, <laughs> show up at your yes. wedding, get a photo, just lurking around, the man of mystery. He doesn't have a cell phone. You have to call his, his landline and leave a message. It's crazy. Well, it wasn't the other, was it one statue or two statues they pulled down in Madison? I think the other one was a by, it was like a, 
a, like a lady of freedom or something. And it was created by a, by a female sculptor. It's just like, uh, I, don't, it's, I don't know. That's crazy. I try not to, I try not to follow some of the craziness. Um, but my other thing that I want to talk about is I get this new email service, Bobby, and I'm pretty, it's pretty interesting. Have you heard of Hey, Hey.com H E Y. No, but I'll be looking it up right now. So I listened about it on the Recode Decode podcast, which is by Kara Swisher. I also listened to Pivot, which is by Kara and Scott Galloway. But they had the CEO of this company, Basecamp, which Basecamp is like a collaborative uh, software that is used by web developers typically. Um, When we got our first website built for us, which was garbage, many, many years ago. This is when I realized that we should be building all of our sites ourselves. I built my first blog in 2008. And then when I took on my business partner, Lucas, and we rebranded to Warbird Academy, we're like, we need a big boy website. We paid five grand for a website that we could have made ourselves. The process was very stupid. This was 2011. I mean, five grand was more more money than it is today. It's still not a small amount of money. But I, I, so let me talk about this company. So when we did that, I had been just like puttering around the web and I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's website's really cool. Uh, it was this fitness guy that uh, wrote for tnation.com, which is a site that I was writing for at the time. And I'm like, this website's awesome. I scroll to the bottom, I find out, you know, it's made by blah, blah, blah. And I reached out to him. I said, hey, we're kind of looking for a website. I saw this one, looks looks really cool. And clearly it, lo- it looked very different than other sites. It was very slick. Uh, and I assumed that this company was just creative and that that's kind of like what they did. And you like give them an idea and they like make it into this cool thing. Not at all. Basically I had to tell them everything that we wanted and everything about how it should look. And they kept coming back with like blank white websites. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm giving you the feel that I want. And I literally had to pick out everything. It was like being an interior. It's like like hiring an interior. It's like hiring an interior decorator. And then you have to pick out every piece of furniture and the paint colors and everything. It's like, isn't this your job? Like literally it was a maddening experience. They were, they were bad about communication. They were bad about pretty much everything. Uh, and so that, I mean, sort of, so did you sent me in the so, direction? I mean, we, we, we deleted that website a year later and built a, no, did, another one ourselves that worked way better and it was way oh, nicer. It was, it was really irritating. So I, I went to the same thing. I had, I actually had one of the dads building one through, it might've been WordPress. Um, he did, he did a nice job. I mean, he did like a basic framework of it, but then he just gave me the login and any, like, if I wanted to put like news on there or like post tryouts or something, then I had to do it, which was virtually impossible. I'm like, I'm computer illiterate. Like anybody that's watching this, Dan is doing all of the tech on this web, this podcast, like uploading it other than me posting a few posts on the website, Dan's doing everything for the, the website, the the audio, all that stuff. Um, so like I, I gave him money to do it, but then it, now I'm like sitting there. It's like, okay, the website was built and I was just clueless on how to work it. And I'm trying to like self teach and it's just not easy. I use like a framework website now. Um, they built it out. It's like a, almost like a plug and play type deal. Um, it's, you pay, you, you pay like a yearly subscription. They, they upkeep mm-hmm. it for you, but it's a little bit better than like the, like a, Wix or uh, squarespace.com uh-huh. which are also fine like I've used those before like they're okay they're not good for like high volume websites but you're just throwing information out there yeah obviously this is like my area of expertise I actually do this on the side and so 
you should have told me that I would have built you a better website or would have helped you maintain yours because it's yeah, well, it's one of those things where you don't realize you take, you just take for granted accumulated knowledge, just like, I mean, anything else, but I've built probably 15 websites over the years. And so it's like a, a relatively quick thing for me to jump in and do. And there's also lots of little things that continue to make it the, the next amount of better, just like in baseball, yeah. like you could be, you could have a really good swing and have a lot of power, but you're just like not, really that good yet until you really learn little the little nuances and that's a lot of how websites are yeah. uh, i was talking to a friend about this recently and, and she was gonna maybe do a wix website i'm like mm -mm, don't do it like not for long term because of the search engine optimization a lot of those little things that you can control which do take a lot of time uh they're just not nearly as nearly as good and it's a weird evolution but how do we get on that topic? That's the bigger question. I don't know. This is a Dan topic. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, topic. so, oh, the email. So the emails, so the service is interesting. It costs a hundred bucks a year, which I got a free, there's a free trial. You have to sign up for a, like an invitation code, but um, I'm going to pay for it. But it basically strips out a lot of different stuff and it categorizes your email into like five different bins, which is really cool. So basically any new email that comes into your Hey.com inbox you get a little notification in in the app itself and it says, hey, you have a first time sender. You click it, you can read the message and then it says, do you want us to receive email from this person ever again? Yes or no. Really? And then if you, and then you have options for what yes means. Yes means it could go into your inbox, which is only the people that you say you can be in my inbox. Or you can go into the feed, which essentially half opens the email and you can scroll down at like a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed. This is where you'd put all your like your newsletters and stuff like that. And, uh, so cause stuff you like don't really need in your inbox, they're not important, but you're probably going to like glance through them, like maybe like one newsletter or whatever. Then there's another one called the paper trail, which is that's where you should put all of your transactions, like your Amazon order confirmation, your shipping confirmations, you know, your receipts, whatever. Yeah. So if that comes in, you can hit auto categorize and it'll just automatically go right into there. So now your inbox is pretty much only clean with who you've chosen to be in your actual inbox. And then the other interesting thing is you can, it'll also take out all attachments and put them in their own separate sort of like list thing. And then the last thing is you choose in your inbox who will actually notify you. So your the app won't just give you a notification every time an email comes into your inbox or in your feed, it actually won't notify you at all. It only notifies you if you say that it should notify you. So even though if Bobby's in my inbox, I can choose that I want to get notified when he emails, emails me or not. So right now, the only people who, who I'll be notified for are like my family, you know, it's, it's like my personal email. So it's really interesting because a lot of people just don't want, like, they're like, I don't need a notification when I get a newsletter, but you can't turn that off. You can either turn notifications on or off. And now all my newsletters go into a feed and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I like, I like the concept of, they're not trying to replace these big companies, like they can never compete with them, which are free. They're just trying to make it better for um, people that are interested in paying a little money and it's only eight bucks a month. And the other thing they do is they strip out the uh, tracking data. So if you get an, like my emails, so if you get my emails, if you're listening to this and like all email services, they'll tell me if I, they'll tell me if you open my email, they'll also tell me if you clicked on something. So that's like a common thing with email services. So, you know, if you don't like that, you can always unsubscribe from my newsletter. It's not a sinister thing. It just gives people data. Uh, but this one also strips that information out. So if you send me, so if you have this and I email you, I can't tell if you open the email or not, 
which is also really interesting. So it's a, a more like data security and privacy. So uh, I'm looking at it now. Kind of uh, interesting. My one, my one question would be if, on your phone, is it an app or does it fall into uh -huh. like the, the mail? Uh, no, it's its, own, it's, it's its own app. So right now I'm forwarding my Gmail to the, to the hey.com address. Oh, so it's sorts it for you. Mm -hmm. So basically I deleted all my Gmail, my old Gmail emails from 2018 and, and earlier, I deleted them all. And now only the new Gmail emails, my personal email gets sent to hey.com or the hey email address. And then it yeah. filters them from there. So I'm like, I keep my Gmail, like it's not gone because people will still email me through it. But I'm, that's going to like help me slowly migrate to the new one. And I'll only give my new one out to like personal friends or whoever. Well, so, I'll have to check it out. Hundred dollars. You're, so you're rich, Dan. You're hundred dollars a year. Well, email pisses people off, and it's nice to like. I don't know. I think some things are worth paying for. Some things are not. I mean, eight dollars is is not a lot of money. Um, obviously, it does that up. I spend a lot of money per year on software. I just did my taxes, and that <laughs> amount of money is alarming. But <laughs> all right. Well, let's. Uh... Let's transition into lifting. I, this is my topic for the day because I had I actually had a couple kids, so I had two lifting questions um, from players this week. One is a kid who's going to a, a prominent Division One university, uh, and they sent him his, like hit their lifting program for the winter, for the off season or for mm -hmm. the summer, I guess. Um, and he sent it to me, and he asked me, "Is this enough?" And essentially, it was three days a week, um, and an upper, a lower, and a total body, and the, for every exercise, it was a max of two sets and about 80% of them were just one set, 12 to 15 reps. And he's like, is this enough? And my immediate reaction was absolutely not. Like, this is just not enough. You're trying to gain weight. You're trying to get stronger. I so said, this is for the off like season that. or for the in season? This is for, I guess, what they give their players for the summer before they come back to campus. Okay. Um, and he's like, should I be supplementing, you know, workouts? And I said, look, you know, you need to gain weight as a catcher. I was like, you still need to gain weight, you still need to get stronger. I'm like, this to me does not seem like enough. Um, so I, I guess the real question is, at what point do you transition into in-season phase? And are these youth guys just always in a growth, essentially a growth phase for lifting? Where do you? I mean, I know you did a lot. That's of a good. Before. That that's a good question. Yeah, I still consider myself a strength coach. Um, of course, anyone can, but. It's a, that's a good question when you're young. So when you're older, so say you're a college age pitcher and you're, or you're a high school senior and you need to get seen by people, you basically you're going to fall into two buckets. Does it really, really matter how well I play today and how fast I am and how hard I throw? If the answer is yes, like you're 17 in, in high school or you're, you know, a college uh, sophomore or, or something yeah. trying to get, yeah, trying to get seen, then then okay, you need to be like real actual in-season or a pro guy. Real actual in-season where our lifting is tailored where you're not going to lose any velocity. You're going to be optimally fresh and not fatigued. Uh, if you don't fall into that category where you're a high school kid who's not going to get signed this summer, you can be a little bit worn out. And worn out is probably not the right word, but you can be a little bit fatigued because we need you to grow this summer because next summer is your summer. So you have to, you have to make sure you know what you're doing because you don't want to go full in season where now we're just, 
you know, trying to just maintain and slow the decline. But really, uh, for most kids who aren't yet 17 years old, they should still be hitting it like relatively hard, just being smart about it. So that means you might like kind of still squat your face off and do stuff that's really going to help you get bigger and doing a lot of like rowing exercises. But we probably minimize the pushing and some of the stuff that's higher stress that's going to maybe make your arm a little barky. But in general, the volume should be a little higher if you're just not fully baked yet because you don't want to take six months of summer and not make any kind of gains at all. And you can make some strength gains during the summer. You absolutely can. You know, you're not going to pitch every day. You're going to pitch once a week probably if you're a pitcher, right? You're going to play the field yeah. a lot if you're a position player, obviously. But you can, uh, you can, be, you can have tired legs as a position player because you can crush it in the gym Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe get a workout in Thursday depending and then be a little tired on the weekend. That's and that's okay, because your long term goals are still the the biggest, most important thing. So it just how do you how do you feel about that statement? Uh, I I mean I I agree with you. I told him specifically. I said what you know what's the overall goal to feel fresh for these summer games you're going to play in, or to to get strong, get ready for you know the next chapter of your baseball life, and. That kind of leads into, um, well, hold on. We got a question here from Moneyball. Hey, Bill Murphy. He, oh, says, what amount of, yeah, he says, what amount of conditioning should incoming freshmen be ready for? I assume he's talking college, but um, what was your lifting program like when you were in college? Our lifting program was great. However, our summer incoming program was made by our head coach, who is, he, I mean, he was living in the 70s still. So our... Great. Our incoming program was a three mile run three days a week, followed by like 50 push ups and sit ups or something like that. It was like the most throwing your gym sweats ever workout. Ours was in college, it was 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and afternoon conditioning Tuesday, Thursday. So sprint work or whatever we were doing, sometimes distance, but usually sprint work. So it was yeah. five days a week, but it's still only three days of lifting which didn't feel like enough to me. I don't know. Yeah. How you, and that's, well, that's, so that's the other question too. Um, I mean, to cut you off, I had, you, I have youth guys and I ask a lot of them, like how many of you guys are lifting and like, you know, they all raise their hand like, Oh, we're lifting. And I said, how many days a week? You know? And I, I go, how many of you guys are lifting three days a week? And it's like half the hands, four days a week. And it's like, you know, 10% of the hands, you know, for me lifting to gain weight, it was a six day a week endeavor i mean maybe that's a little excessive but no you're saying no no it's definitely so what's not, the sweet, definitely not what's necessary. the sweet what's the sweet spot right what's the sweet it's spot? it's three or four days it's three or four days if you really work out hard and you have a good lifting program the six days thing i mean they're just there's a set amount of volume and this is something like the all the old power lifters they all talk about how as they've gotten older they start doing less and they start doing and it's not because they're older it's because they just have learned that the benefits of hitting it hard five or six days a week, which they maybe did when they were younger, it didn't really add up to better results. It just added up to more fatigue mentally and physically and more injuries. Um, it, I don't see the case for lifting six days a week because your muscles, they need recovery. And if you really actually, I, I think really just the volume decreases as the days increase. So if you're doing six days a week, you're certainly not doing the amount of volume that you might do if you really hit it hard on three days a week. You just couldn't. You just couldn't. So I felt like my sweet spot lifting, like when I was going to, when I had a trainer in the off season for pro ball and everything, it was four days a week lifting with 
I was active six days a week. So the fifth and sixth days were like a yoga or a swimming, some kind of swimming routine. Yeah, that I, I think used that's to do. great. Mm-hmm. I think it's that a good six like, day scheme. Yeah. But it was, a, it was definitely a six day a week active, like actively engaging in exercise. Um, yeah. So maybe I misunderstood what you meant, but I think that kind of thing is great. If, I mean, it's not like you can get, you have to get all of your exercise done on four days and have three com- like completely no exercise. That's certainly not the case. But my, my overarching point was if it's like true strength and conditioning in the weight room, squatting heavy, you know, doing your deadlift variations, yeah. pushing and pulling, you can't do that six days a week with a, you know, with a volume that you would say that's, that was a good hard hour, 75 minute workout. You couldn't do that six days a week and not end up being just burned to the ground essentially long-term. Yeah, three, four days a week of really good quality strength and conditioning within like a yoga day or, you know, whether it's your conditioning day is another one of the, the two days off, whatever. That's completely, that's different and that's that's totally fine. But for young players, you just have to ask if, if that's realistic for them as, as high schoolers. It's probably not, right? Or they're just yeah. doing stuff with their buddies, like they're playing pickup basketball. And that's totally, I mean, that's a great thing to do on an, on an off day from lifting. Or they're playing, you know, doing other stuff, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue I have with the younger guys, like let's say like the freshmen, sophomores, juniors in high school is they don't understand how to gain weight. They don't understand like the amount of stress that you want to put on your muscles to expand them, to get the blood flow, whatever. Feel a pump. Like I always use that. Like I use the benchmark. There it is. I use <laughs> the benchmark of 200 reps per whatever body part you're doing. So I was so like, okay, you guys are doing chest like, do 200 pushups. Like you're going to feel like a little bit of a pump or I describe a pump as your biceps feel like they're flexing even when you're not flexing when you're doing arm workout. So I'm like, you need to try and get that with whatever body part you're working, whether you're doing pull legs, it's hard to feel it in your legs sometimes, but that's kind of the, I try and break it down for the guys as simple as possible. And that's seems like an easy way um, both rep wise and what you're supposed to feel. It's like, I'm not trying to get you to work out for 90 to a 90 minutes to two hours, crank it out in 40 minutes. If you want, just feel a pump, like get your body stressed in whatever you're pushing, pulling legs. I mean, I get what you're getting at. Uh, 200, just to make 200, 200 is an arbitrary number. It's a total. arbitrary That's, number. And it's certainly not the right number for a lot of exercises. Cause if you're using appreciable weight, you're not gonna be able to do 200 reps of like a heavy barbell row or even like a reasonable weight for a barbell row. No, no, that's 20 sets of 10. But like if it's reps. a body weight-ish kind of thing, sure. But then at the same time, you have to also question like, why are you doing 200 pushups every day? Like maybe let's do some heavier pushing exercise with some No, no, that's my point. No, 200 reps of any push. So if you're doing four sets of 10 bench then and four sets of 10 flies, that's 80 reps, right? Try and hit 200 reps, whatever. For the day though, that's way too much volume. That's not even close. No, no, no. You're either doing way too little weight. Huge. Trying to get huge. No, it doesn't, it it don't work that way, Sonny. No. You gotta get, you're trying to get huge. If you're doing 200 reps of a push of, of a different pushing exercise, that's literally four by 10 times five pushing exercises. That's, that's an insane amount of volume. That would take you 45 minutes just to do all those. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and then you got to do your back. No, and that's another forty-five back's minutes. Pull, back's a pull. Yeah, the, the, that you're talking about, but here you're getting into bodybuilding splits, and that's not the way athletes train. I mean, if you want to be, the, I Jay want Cutler, monsters. I want no. monsters. Well, and this this is the thing: like the way muscles grow, 
and some muscles are different than others uh, is through time under tension, but also through the pump. That's a real thing. It's just like, um, what's the word for it? Metabolic stress. So if you don't have a lot of weight and you want to get your quads to grow, you can pump them full of blood by doing tons of squats and then tons of squat jumps. Like we've all felt that crazy burn. That's what you're talking about. The pump. Yeah. You do, you do bicep curls with a 30 pound dumbbell. Then you drop it. You get a 20 pound, you keep going, you get a 15 pound, you keep going. That's a metabolic stress. It's pumping tons and tons of blood and nutrients into that muscle to get it to do that job. That's one of the tools that bodybuilders use much more than athletes use. It's something to help get like a lagging muscle up to speed a little bit. But that's not the way that you really get stronger. It's not really the way you get more explosive. It's a way to like boost up a lagging muscle more used in the bodybuilding world, which you're an all show and no go kind of guy. So this all, this all adds up. Oh, Christ. But some muscles respond to that better than others. Like the deltoids seem to be one of them. The forearms seem to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the mid back, like those little muscles, those also are one of them. So it just depends. But you wouldn't do that as your exclusive meanings, means of training because at some point your body starts to adapt to it and now you're not forcing your muscles to increase the work that they have to do. Like you have to overload, progressively overload your muscles at some point with more weight, more time under tension, not just tons of pumpy reps. And bodybuilders are great at this. They find a balance of all that stuff. They know that, they, that there's a time to like pump some extra blood in there, but it's not, it's not their only thing they do, even for bodybuilders. Yeah, but I want my dudes to get huge, just monsters. And granted, the guys I'm talking about, honestly, like the ones that are the ones that are five foot eight, 120 pounds, like they're physically overmatched most of the time. Like they need to try and get up to speed. Um, and that's just what that's just one of the things I, I see a lot more with like kids coming up, like our our senior class in high school that when they came in, they were much bigger physically. I don't know why, but it's gotten progressively smaller, like less kids come in physically developed, you know, maybe muscle tone, whatever. And I don't think it has to do with their, uh, like hitting puberty early because some of them have sprouted and they, they've got, you know, some facial and mustache or whatever. It's just, they're not physically like ready to, to handle all that stress that, we're trying to like get them up to speed with whether it's push-ups or, you know, just dry squats or something like that. I agree mm-hmm. with you. It's not like the end all. Like I'm not telling a professional athlete to go do 200 reps of push. Just no, you shouldn't be uh, telling anyone to do that. That number makes no sense. But it's, I mean, the, the, the whole point is to kind of get them in the mindset of like, you have to do more than what you're doing. Like you're doing three sets of 10 of push-ups and that's then fair, you're, that's you're done. You're done with your workout. That doesn't make it like you're not getting anything out of that. You, you're, you could do that when you're, 10 years old. Yeah. But that's also just adjusting the program. Like you wouldn't do three, who would do three sets of 10 pushups unless you're, you know, a young, a young kid who three sets of 10 is actually hard. I mean, the goal of reps, and this is, I think what's misunderstood. The goal of a rep is whether it's sets of 10 or sets of 12 or sets of six, that you could do maybe one or two more and that's it. So with a pushup for a high school boy, he can probably do at least 20 pushups. You know, if they're like 16, 17 and pretty athletic, lots of kids can't do pushups and that's fine. Like it, I think it's, it's a lot harder than people realize to do good pushups. But yeah. anyway, if you're a high school, like varsity athlete, you can probably do 20 pushups. So if you're doing three sets of 10, you're just leaving a lot on the table and it's not hard enough for the 10 reps. The, again, the standard is always, and again, this does take a long time for kids to understand 
if it sets it, if I say it's a set of 12, that means you could do 14 reps max before you're going to like your form really breaks down and you're, and that's it. That's the right weight. And, and kids also don't know how to work that hard either. They don't know what it feels like to grind out a, a three rep. That's really heavy because they get the weight on their back. They're like, Oh God, I could only do this once. But it's like, no, you could have done it three times, but you just, you don't know how to get out of the hole fast enough with your legs. You don't know how to tighten up fat, you know, hard, hard enough so that you're safe with that amount of weight on your back, et cetera, et cetera. It's mental too. It's mental. And so they learn that, but like I, I, sh- I share the story somewhere. I don't remember where, but there's a kid who was like a pretty hard worker in our gym, but I, I looked up, I, I grabbed his workout card one day and I'm like, Will, you've been doing 265 on squats for like a month. What's the deal? Why have you not gone up in weight? He's like, I don't know. I'm not working hard. I'm not not working hard, which was true. He wasn't not working hard, uh, but I watched him squat and I was like, no, 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 no. He basically just stopped after his fifth or sixth rep and he thought it was hard. I was like, okay, your next rep, we're going to leave that weight on there. We're going to do, I think it was like 10 or 11 reps or something, or 12 reps or something. We're going to do double essentially what you were doing. He's like, I can't do it. I'm like, yeah, you can. I'm like, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to spot you. I'm going to be totally fine. And he banged out like 13 reps of it. And it was a big learning experience for him because he thought that six was all he could do, but it really right. wasn't. Cause I was watching bar speed. When you watch bar speed, that's, that tells a lot of the story. His bar speed was still pretty fast at the top. Like it's definitely getting heavy, but your bar's not really slowing down. Even at your sixth rep, when you say like you're done a really hard squat or really hard deadlift, the bar speed slows tremendously. It's really hard to grind through that sticking point. You watch like a world record deadlift. It takes them like five seconds to get it off the ground, but they still, they still finish it. Right. Whereas a lot of kids, they still get the bar off the ground and it's like one and a half seconds and they're done. And they say that was hard. It's like, no, so that bar starts slowing down. It's not actually hard. So teaching them what that looks like and what the reps look like. So again, that's why if they're doing three sets of 10 and being done on pushups, yeah, they didn't choose the right weight. Like they need to go add some load and be, whether it's dumbbell bench press or whatever, so that now 10 reps is actually hard for them. But if push-ups aren't hard at 10 reps, then sure, you could do 100, or you could switch exercises and actually load it. So it just depends. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's it's definitely, like, obviously I'm just tossing out arbitrary numbers, but I'm just trying to get the, the mindset of you need to do more. Uh, the two things we always do for testing, um, three things actually, is we test the kids – in push-ups, continuous push-ups. So as long as they don't, as long as their hands and feet are on the ground and nothing else, like they're still allowed to keep going. Um, how many you can do in a row? And push sit-ups in a minute. Someone holding their feet, you know, just see how many sit-ups they can do in a minute. It's more of a again a mental thing. And then bar hangs. So straight arm over like bar hangs from a pull-up bar. And that one is just straight mental mental toughness where. Kids, as soon as it starts to get a little bit of forearm burn, they let go. And then when everybody's watching you, all of a sudden it's like, okay, you see one kid fight through it. You see another guy fight through it. I mean, we had a kid who was 17, I think, hang on the bar for six minutes. That is a long, long time to hold your body weight off the ground. And you could tell, I mean, he got off and he couldn't even bend his fingers. But Mm -hmm. that's like the mental – I don't even know if he's stronger than everybody because the bar hang is essentially – uh, it's a it's a power to weight ratio thing. For yeah, sure. but it's just the just how you know he gets to four minutes and you could tell it's starting to hurt and he gets to five minutes and it's like hey keep going ten more seconds ten more seconds and it's just like a a mind it's more of a like shut your mind off and just let your body like see how far you could take it 
So I really liked it as far as a like a testing tool. I mean, I don't know what mm -hmm. the bar hang. You can't send a bar hang six minute bar hang to a college and they're going to recruit you. But it's just more of a yeah. Like to what's build your some, what what's your bar hang, son? That's. <laughs> <laughs> It's right, right? Like, it's like, okay, what's your bar? Like, your bar hang when they're comparing to each other or when they're comparing themselves. Like, I did it a minute 20 last time, now I got two minutes. Like, yeah, dude, you probably could have got two minutes last time. It's all mental. Like, yeah. It's I actually devised a test, uh, and it was it got published on tnation.com, which is, uh, if you're not familiar with that site, if you're interested in strength training, it's one of the best strength training websites out there for, like, really in the field and, like, people who are really into, into strength conditioning and powerlifting and all that. But, uh, I kind of figured out that, um, basically I took, and this doesn't, this isn't like a complicated thing, but I think it was, you take your max set of pushups and then you double it. And then you try to do that without your knees touching. So you can pike back and, I call it the horrible hundred. So, you know, if you do 50 pushups, then you have to do a hundred before your knees touch. Right. And so you'll bang out 50 because that's what you know you're capable of doing. Then you'll kind of like rest in the push-up position or pike position, and then you'll do 20. And then it always, almost becomes like an asymptote, you know, like halves until like infinity. And then like your last 20 or 30 are like one, and then you pike and you rest. One, and then you rest. One, and then you rest. And it's a really tough test to get through. Right. And, uh, and your goal is to get it I think back when I was like a freak of nature, I, I finished mine. My horrible hundred at that point was about 200 pushups. And I think I finished it. My best time was like 320 or something. It's um, a long time to be just held up body weight. Well, 320 is not. I'm talking about doing pushups, but um, it'll take you 10 minutes at first because you might do 50 pushups in a minute and then you do the next 20 in another minute and then you do the next five in the next minute. And then you're doing singles like five pushups a, a, mi a minute yeah. for a long time. Right. Yeah. It's hard to have the stamina to still bop, like bump them out in blocks. That's uh. but it was a good, it was a good test. We did that in my Academy every year and it was never not miserable. Oh yeah. But it's a good mental test because you can finish it. You really, you, you almost always can finish it. Um, and it's tailored to the person. So if you can do 20 good pushups, then you do 40. That's your horrible hundred. Right. So, so yeah, well, but if you're start out there lifting more, it's not an in season thing. No, by any means, but I do like the, I do like the, the competition aspect of it though. Builds a little character. Yeah. Well, that one especially is, is pretty miserable. And what I would do a couple of my first summers back from pro ball, I would just try to get myself back to size as quick as I could. So I would take the first month. I also wrote an article on this, but I was just doing really, really big volume of pushups, chin ups and front squats and like pretty much daily workouts. And, uh, I, I'd throw on like five, 10 pounds again, really, really fat. I, I, I put on weight easily. Yeah. This is my genetics, but, um, I would like pump myself back up. Like I was like a blow up doll essentially just, just all right, a month. And I'm like, I'm like good, but it was a lot of volume and it was a lot of hard work. And it was a lot of, like you said, that metabolic stress doing a hundred pushups in a row, even when I can't do that many right. doing 50 chin ups a day when I can't do that many, you know, like that kind of stuff. And that's hard, but it, it seemed like I could just like just get it all back in a month. 
um, at least my like base level of strength and size again. And then it's kind of like, all right, now I can back off and kind of cruise. I don't know that I recommend that, but I did that for, I think my first two seasons maybe. And then I started to back off, but yeah, I call it the rapid reinflation plan. I'm pretty sure you can read that article somewhere on the web on, on T nation. If you Googled it, Google it, Google it people. Um, yeah, I wrote for that website for like three or four years while I was playing when I was really, uh, I wouldn't say in like, I say in more into strength training, but it was definitely a, a much more of a passion of mine then than it is now. But, uh, Bobby, I worked out for the second time this Congrats. week. Congratulations. Congrats. I did it. Are the gyms Two open? workouts. I told you I'm going to that CrossFit gym. Oh, that's right. That's right. Cause they're, they're opening today in, in Chicago. Yeah. Monday you could be inside. So I went, I went Monday and, and Thursday. So went okay. I actually didn't hate it that much. I like did a pretty decent size work. I did like a, a shortish workout on Monday. And then yesterday I was like longer. It's decent. It's pretty decent. Old man strength coming at you. So what do you got on this MLB stuff, man? So my, I texted anyone, question, should, should, should anyone care? Should anyone care? No, nobody should care. But I texted you the question I read on Twitter and you shot me down. So naturally I'm just going to ask you on, on air. Uh, so the one interesting stat that I thought would, could come out of this season is will somebody hit 400? Like, and if they do hit, like what are the chances somebody hits 460 games? Cause it's still a good sample size of games. I mean, guys have done it to start seasons, maybe for like, you know, to the all-star break hitting right around 400. Um, but is that, if somebody, is, that, is that actually true? Yeah. I remember like Chipper Jones, maybe 10 years ago, like was on a tear. He was like very different era of baseball, but yeah. And that's probably my point. I would so, say no, because guys don't know how to hit anymore. Okay. But I mean, there's, will somebody flirt with 400 for the whole season? And if they do, will they be recognized as the last guy to hit 400 and not Ted Williams? Well, you, you know the answer. I mean, I know you want to like play devil's advocate because we talked yes, about I this. Do. No one obviously would ever recognize that 60 games, the sample size. We know more about data and all this stuff than ever. So obviously no one will. Don't even bother being devil's advocate. Obviously, no one will acknowledge that <laughs> as hitting 400 if you hit 460 games, which is just it's an absurd notion. But no, no one's even gonna no one's even gonna flirt with it. They're not guys. That's not how they're trying to play baseball anymore. Like 320 is the new 375. Like back in the day when you and I were growing up, we were watching, you know, in the 90s, Tony Gwynn was hitting 380 in September, right? Uh, yeah. like that was that was a thing. And there were like two other guys behind him hitting 365 and 360. That's not a thing anymore. It's just not. Well, who I mean, led what, the who led the league last year was uh, Tim Anderson. I think was in like the 330s for the, and then I forget who led the National League. Maybe Yelich was up there like 330, 340ish. Yeah, Tim Anderson 335. Who he's obviously a great player, but still a relative unknown. Yes. Um, Christian Yelich 329. K. Marte, don't know who that is, 329. DJ LeMayhew, 327 for the Yankees. I mean, 330 is not even close to 400. Like, not even close. Right. No, it's you know? not. I, but, but to the point, like, somebody – you get hot for three weeks and you go on a tear. I mean, you're probably going to be hitting 400 in those three weeks and the season is basically nothing at this point, right? It's only another, it's only another four weeks. Sure, so somebody 20, could somebody games. could realistically stay hot for an extended period of time 
I'm talking like a like a true hitter, like a Miguel Cabrera, where he's where he, if he's healthy and he's on fire, like this guy can hit, and he's going to hit at a high clip. Um, I don't know if he's healthy or not, but he's uh, the last. He, like he's the he's the guy where you, I picture like he's not trying to do too much. He's just he's barreling balls and like a Pujols in his prime. Type well, guy. you you wonder if there's going to be a, if tactically hitters are going to approach this year differently from a contract standpoint. So say you're a young guy, say you're like in your third year, you're not like a big name, like you could go back down or whatever. Um, do you try to hit as many home runs in the 60 games as you can? Or do you try to have the biggest batting average that you can? Or do you not? Tr- I mean, obviously guys are always just trying to drive the ball. Sure. But we're, everyone's these are still human beings and they still are aware of their stats. They're still aware of their mortality in the game. They're still aware of what's good for them and what's not good for them. Yeah. So what's what's better for you as this maybe under-established player? Is it to say, okay, hey, I hit 15 jacks in 60 games. I Like I salvaged this year. Or do you want to hit eight home runs in 60 games? Which is not a not that bad of a total. That's probably the one place for like 20-ish, right? Yeah. Low 20s. That's certainly respectable. You hit 25 home runs in the big leagues, you're, you're a dude. People don't oh, yeah. respect the 20s that much, but 25 home runs is a lot. So in 60 games, if you hit nine – that's not a small amount of home runs that extrapolates out to in the twenties. So are you okay with that? Or do you really want to get into double digits and maybe you change your approach a little bit to try to make that happen? I mean, who, who cares what happens? Does anyone care about the world series? I sure don't. Does it, can anyone? So this might just be like individual stats here. Hey, I'm going to try to hit 20 jacks in 60 games. That's good for my career. Well, you know, two is probably uh, realistic. That's probably a realistic thing. Like if you talk about like comparing it to a year like 1994, right? They didn't have a World Series, but they had an MVP. And I know this because Frank Thomas was the MVP in the American League. Um, like they, had, they, <laughs> they had they had awards, right? Like these, they're counting stats. Someone like Mike Trout, who's on record pace for counting stats, hits and home runs and all that stuff. Like this is these are all big years. Like he's in his prime. Like these are important numbers for these guys. My point, is like, and the original question is, does it even matter? Like, are you going to recognize the MVP from this season as like in no. the Hall of Fame voting or the? Well, one MVP does not a Hall of Famer make, but 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 MVPs are like a a real deciding. That's factor a very big. That's a very big deal for sure. It's a important especially in baseball. Player. Especially in baseball, yeah, you're the best player in the whole world for that year. So and that's an incredible thing. And so what makes Mike Trout so amazing is that he's essentially been the MVP every year. Like you could give it to him and without argument every single year, the past seven years. I don't think anybody, you could have a little bit of a discussion about it, but no one's going to say, no, this guy was definitely not the best player in the American league because he has been Mookie Betts had that one year where he went off and he deserved it. Is it Mookie or Mookie? I'm a Mookie. 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 It's Mookie. (laughs) It's like, Okay, Don. I heard the strong O's from you, and it made me sound, I don't know. It sounds like poop more. It's definitely I like Mookie. Mook, I feel like Mookie. Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts sounds is, good. Mookie sounds weird. This, I don't know what is, the official pronunciation is. Remember when people were calling Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones, and he was like, <laughs> dude, why are you doing that? My name's Andrew. They're like, you guys are idiots. It went for one for like multiple years. Because that's how you want. You want to make him different, Andrew. It was very- so strange. Like, literally, <laughs> the media was just calling him that. And then one day he's like, no, it's Andrew. It's always been Andrew. It's like, Andrew. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> he uh, uh, underrated player by uh, all accounts as well. Like the best defensive center fielder. Was he underrated though? Like I was a Braves fan in the nineties. I loved, I mean, I loved that team. I was on my parents' floor. I watched them win the world series. I remember where I was like the, at, on the ground at the base of their bed as they were trying to sleep and it was 1130 and I was watching <laughs> in the room. Like I love, I love the Braves and Andrew Jones was incredible. Incredible. No, I don't know that. I don't know that he was underrated though. He was, he was widely known as the best center fielder in baseball without question. Like no one questioned it at, in his, yeah. in his time. Just the, his longevity is incredible. Like, was he in the big leagues at nine? Was he in the World Series at nineteen? Yeah, he hit two home runs. Yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like a Soto. Like Juan Soto now is being praised as like the next coming. Like, and Andrew Jones was younger than him. Uh, I think they were pretty comparable in age. Juan I'm Soto's. Well, 20, I think I think you're right, 21. but I don't feel like looking this up. But they're both very young. Uh, and Andrew, he started to fizzle out. I mean, I think early thirties, something like that. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, he thir- 13 years in the big leagues is a long time, but he started to, to decline. I think he didn't make it like a, he wasn't like a 20 year career guy. He, like he definitely wasn't, he was like a 13, 14 year, I think, and started to decline his last couple, but he I would just, never, I wouldn't even take that career 13 years. Terrible. He just got such good jumps on the ball. And, and we had a teammate, Michael rocket. You remember him? I do remember Michael Rocket. He didn't, I didn't play with him. I played against him. Our mutual friend Zach says, and, and Mike was like a lower draft pick, played like a couple years in affiliated ball. Then he was an indie ball. He's a really wiry, wiry dude, like not a great hitter, um, but like a sneaky, amazing outfielder where Zach, who played in the big leagues and was like a 10-year minor leaguer, multiple, multiple years in double and triple A, he's like, Rocket's the, the best center fielder I've ever seen. He's like, it, it, he's like, and you don't appreciate him because he gets such good jumps on the ball that he just camps under stuff that other guys like don't catch. And I was like, you know, you're kind of right. Like he, when he has to lay out for a ball, it's like he's on the infield. And you're like, how did you get there that fast? Well, not only that. And I that's what Andrew Jones was. He was incredible at getting reads on the ball. And he had the Braves pitching staff, which hit their spots a lot of the time. So he's already starting to move towards the right center gap when they're throwing to that side of the plate, that kind of thing. Yeah. And really amazing instincts, even amongst an outfield of major leaguers who all have amazing instincts, right? I, uh, I remember Michael Rocket being like a utility guy too, which is even more impressive, right? That he was. He just like- had incredible baseball instincts in general. And this is not a person anyone listening would know, but he just was a minor leaguer that we played with who was just a – like just geeked out on defense he just was he just understood what how to get going and didn't matter where he played he was just going the right direction the like he found the baseball that's just what he did and not only like that's that kind of speaks to a lot of minor leaguers right like we've all played with guys and you're like how is this guy not in the big leagues or why didn't he get his shot i mean there's so many the talent when you get to that level of baseball is absurd like everybody is so everybody is basically one injury away from being in the big leagues and everybody's probably had that stretch where like somebody a teammate got called up or you play with teammates that got picked up and then they were in the big leagues in a month like it's just there's the the margin of error and the and how how close talent wise all these guys are is like people don't I don't think people realize how good even in in independent ball like how good some of these some of these guys are Mm mm-hmm I actually went to I went to independent ball practice yesterday. The Chicago Dogs 
opening. Mm. I got kicked. I got kicked out for not having a COVID test. Um, oh. So I got to go get one. I need to go get. That's my. That's on my agenda today. COVID test. Good luck, sir. See, I've been. Um, I've been thinking about getting one, but it's. I feel like it's. I, I don't know. See, see, my excuse to get one is to go see my family, which I haven't seen my sister and my nephew and my brother-in-law and them in since February. Three months. Um, four months. They have, they have a newborn, so there's more concern. But there's testing down my street, and I could go get one. But then, what's more complicated is, uh, like you go on a date, right? And everyone's doing more things than they used to be doing, which is normal, which is good. Like you go see, mm-hmm. you go to have a barbecue with your friends and maybe it's kind of social distance. It's a smaller group than normal, whatever, but people are hanging out with each other a little more, right? We're like, that's the thing that's happening, which is great, which is fine. Um, but even then you start to do like this, well, what's this? So, you know, I go on a date, she goes to a barbecue with her friends. Each of those friends has hung out with their friends. Each of their friends has hung out with their friends. And you're like, all right. So I, you know, I saw her on this day and now it's Tuesday. Should I go get a test? Is it even relevant? Because maybe it like, you know, the network of people that you're exposed to one person who's exposed to maybe many other people, it becomes, you know, and then you're like, well, if I get this test today, maybe I already caught it and it's not even going to register for five more days. So the test today is irrelevant. And now I go and I get my, you know, my, my sister sick and her family, like that's where, I'm at mentally where everything seems better. Like I don't fear for this by any means, but you just start to like really think about, you know, a month ago or six or two, especially two months ago, if I went and got a test, it's like, yeah, I haven't seen like one person. I went to the grocery store like one time. I haven't like hung out with anyone. A test is going to be pretty accurate, you know, statement of whether I have this today or in a week from now. Right. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. Like it's a pretty good idea, but today it's more like you're just around more people. So right. it could be incubating in your body and it may not show up in the test till how many days later, a week later. I don't know what the incubation period is where it can actually actually detect it. So that's where I'm at it where it's, where it feels more complicated, even though everything seems better here in DC, it's very, it's not, it's not rampant by any means. Numbers are not increasing. They're still decreasing. So it's, I'm in like a good city for it, but that's where it's still kind of complicated, man. When you just start saying, all right, everyone's out there and their network of people they're in contact with is growing are these tests like, actually telling me what's okay and what's not? Because if everyone else is like, Hey, you know, it, that's fine. It's, it is what it is. Then so be it. But again, with my sister's family having a newborn, it's like, they really want to make sure you are actually okay. Not just like, we're okay. If you're not okay. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like the, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. If Kevin Bacon was a coronavirus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just, you're going to come in contact with it. You know, everybody, everybody's got people that are linked to Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So I don't know. So the, like I said, the, the test seemed relevant to me maybe a month ago. I just feel like it's less relevant today. I, cause again, the amount of people that you're going to come in contact with is starting to increase and it's problematic, but right. which is the same thing with baseball. Like, how are they going to do this? People are certainly going to get coronavirus. It's going to become this, it's just going to become this wacky show. I think which it'll be fun. It'll almost be as fun as our Tuesday show with Jeff Fry and Richard's gang. Mike Trout's hitting three. He's hitting four twenty, and then he gets coronavirus 48 games in. It counts. Counts. 
He's the new Ted Williams. He's going to be the one. To, he's going to hit. He's going to be a three eighty. Come like ten games left in the season, I think. Yeah, which to me is not even exciting. Like I said, three eighty was like normal August for Chipper Jones for like every year of his career back in the nineties. Oh, I know. Like Chipper Jones be- was hitting three seventy five, like it was his job. Yeah, Chipper Jones was good and hitting thirty five jacks every year. I'm 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 predicting right now. Mike Trout tank fifty games in. 380 with 25 tanks. Actually, Chipper Jones is a Judy. He didn't he didn't hit 50 <laughs> home runs. Right? Richard was Chipper Jones a Judy. He was a hey, it's good entertainment. For those of you on Twitter or not on Twitter, you need to log on to Twitter. I'm sure these lead up the next 3 days is going to be very fun. Bobby, what do you know about this new social media site called Parlor? Uh, I've been on Parlor for uh, not quite a year, but a lot, like months. But since 2019, what do you, what do, sure. you do? What do you do there? It's not. I don't do anything there. It's like an. It's like a Twitter. I don't know how you would describe it. Like a Twitter offshoot. It's like MySpace to Facebook. It's like an alternative to Twitter. Um, yeah, it's like they're gonna censor you less or something. Or there's. Um, like- I think it's just like a like a quote unquote conservative Twitter. So they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to censor you as much. They're not going to block, you know, you're not going to deplatform you. It doesn't work as well as Twitter right now. Like it doesn't, it's not as smooth. It doesn't so, feel like so it's this is where you put most of your hate speech on his own parlor. Is that right? This is where I, this is where I throw out my conspiracies. Bob, I need you to settle a, a Donald Trump thing. I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. So in his Tulsa rally, he goes, I've told my people to slow down testing. Didn't sound like he was joking. Then he comes back. His press secretary, who's just a wonderful little liar, says that he was says says that he was says that he was joking. No, I'm going to keep going. Says that he was All joking. Right. And then he gets off a plane, and I watched the video this morning, and he says, "I wasn't joking." We're doing, and then he just rambles about testing. Go. I didn't. I didn't sort it I out honestly, for me. Sort it out for me. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it. I was gonna it's, say it's, that the, it's it's nonsense. I'll watch it. I'll watch it just for you. But I, I was gonna say the press secretary is married to a former baseball player from the Braves that I was teammates with, which is random. I don't know how I found that out. Like she tweeted out a picture of her family and like tagged him in it. And I'm I'm reading his name and I'm like, did that kid play baseball? Sure did. Pitcher for the Braves. Hmm. So now she, so he's, he really, he married, I guess, well. Uh, if you call that well, I mean. She's very good. I mean, I think she's actually very good at what she She's does. really good at lying and all that stuff. She's I, very I don't, smart. I don't, I don't call that well. I don't want my, that's not what I want from a, a life partner personally. Someone who just. I like her. Massages the truth daily. It's not what I want in my life, but uh, to each their own. Uh, but yeah, that's a pretty baffling cause he's like pretty making it, cl- making it pretty clear that he wasn't joking. And then they keep trying to say, no, he was actually joking. And he's like, no, I'm not. And they're like, Hey, no, I love like, it. it's, it's just, I, I mean, anything, anything is just, it's funny at this point. I'm, I enjoy the entertainment. I didn't, I didn't honestly didn't see that though. I've been kind of disconnected from political Twitter for the last week or so. Which is the way to go. It's, it's a. Uh... It's miserable. Everything on it's, Twitter's. It's hard miserable. for you too. It's hard for you, especially in DC. I mean, you're really surrounded by. by I mean, you're not surrounded Twitter. by Twitter. It's not like Twitter, like. But I mean, you're in the like, like you're in the helicopters off an oak tree. It uh, it is a hundred percent like a helicopter out of an oak tree. 
Uh, well, it's just one of those things where I don't know. I don't know that being informed in DC is really that more important than anywhere else. Not like, like Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi is my neighbor. I guess, guess she lives somewhere in the city, but I don't think it really matters. Although I did hear a really interesting rumor about I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it. Um, a political. That is the one interesting thing. I did, I did, I, I met a person that's like kind of, I don't know, knows a person who knows a person who like knows inside stuff. So that stuff clearly floats around. You know, like people that know people who work in in the government know secrets. So that's always interesting. But well, anyway, so, so we're, an hour, we're hour fifteen in. I feel well, like we're, we need we're, to. We're, we're done. We're done. We need to show. talk. We need to just preview Tuesday. Tuesday is going to be so. Be Tuesday's here on Tuesday. Podcast special time though, eleven a.m. Eastern, right? Yes, correct. I will send out an email. I sent an email to my list today. I will send an email out. Bobby's going to tweet this show very hard this weekend, aren't you? Like a like a like the press. Tag everyone you know. It's Eleven a.m. Tuesday. Crazy. It's going to be messy. It's going to be it's going to be weird. Probably not as bad as people think it'll be, but who knows what it'll be? We'll see. It can't be any it can't be any messier than when you uh, basically undress that guy on the expert summit. Um. In your second. No, debate. it could. No, it could. If it got actually like altercationy, quarrel, actual <laughs> quarreling. That was like one directional, pretty much. But so, if you're out there, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Really appreciate it. Do it now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Also, be sure to uh, subscribe here on YouTube or follow on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you watching and listening. Send us a comment or a question if you like, and we will see you here on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern for the cage match. The showdown. Gonna be a showdown. Do, 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 do.